We'll take our text tonight from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 16. John's Gospel, chapter 16, and I'll read just the 33rd verse. St. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When Jesus spoke these words, uh, he knew that the cross was just hours away. This was, in fact, a very intimate, uh, close discussion with his closest followers, his friends, his disciples. In the 13th chapter leading up to this time, uh, Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet, and for them it was a very strange sort of encounter. They weren't used to the master getting down on his knees and washing their feet. It was strange to them. We know that account, and immediately after that, Jesus predicts to them that one would betray him. Well, they didn't understand. This sounded very strange. How could this be? And then following that, Jesus begins to give them more teachings, and he tells them about a new commandment that they are to follow, something new they hadn't heard about before, and a commandment that really is a defining attribute of Christianity. He says in the 34th verse of chapter 13, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. He's saying this after he had just predicted that he would be betrayed. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one for another. How will the world know that those that call themselves are Christians are Christians except it be by way of love, he's saying. Well, after this, Jesus then predicts that Peter would deny him three times. Peter couldn't believe this. and He didn't understand this. And, and first, one's going to betray him. Then we need to love each other. And then, by the way, one of you will deny me three times. Immediately in chapter 14, leading up to our text, Jesus tells them that he must go away. And in so doing, he's going to go to his father's house and he's going to build mansions for them. And we know for you and me as well. He then promises to them what Jesus refers to as another comforter, even the spirit of truth. In fact, he says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. This was something brand new as well. I must go away, but don't worry, I will send another comforter. And he will be with you, and he will teach you, and he will guide you, and he will be close to you. Then in chapter 15, Jesus talks about this concept of a vine and the branches and, and what bears fruit. And Jesus tells them that he's the vine. I'm the vine, he tells them, and, and you are the branches. And he goes on to say that God the Father is what we might call today the farmer, or he refers to it as the husbandman. And then uh, finally at the end of chapter 15, Jesus really begins to talk about this differentiation between the world and the followers of Christ. 
He even uses pretty strong language. He says, referring to the world, that it hates him. So he's saying, since the world hates, pretty strong words, hates him, they're going to hate you as well. The Apostle John records Jesus using this term world 65 times throughout his gospel, if I record it or counted it correctly. And you know, Matthew uses it just 14 times, Mark 5 and Luke 7. But John, he seems to go out of his way to explain the difference between the world and followers of Jesus Christ. In many cases, uh, we know that And we've experienced, and the Lord's point was that there should be a huge difference between how the world acts, how the world reacts, how the world lives, where the world goes, what the world does compared to a Christian, compared to a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I could give some examples in in John chapter 12, verse 46, he says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. The world offers darkness, Jesus offers light. In John chapter 14, verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, or you might say understand, or identify with, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. The world versus being in Christ. And I mentioned in John 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John chapter 17, verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It sounds like Christians are from another planet, almost. I am not of the world. We know in a supernatural sense, our home is in heaven. Our home is is in a paradise, a place that's different than this world, and one day everything will become made new. John chapter 17, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. John chapter 18, verse 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. We get a picture. John's trying to make a point throughout his gospel, this difference between the world and Christianity. Let's go back to our text. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Here, just a couple weeks ago at Youth Focus, we looked at, as a group, up on a big screen, a a picture, and it was really a collage. And it was an image that I had pulled up online under the title, Chaos. And on this collage, this picture, there was smoke, there was fire, there was flooding, there were people wearing hazmat suits. Complete facial coverings, head coverings, complete body coverings. There was what looked to be unrest, lawlessness, confusion, restlessness. It was a picture of chaos. And we talked about some of the things that we had experienced over the last year or so. Obviously, the pandemic, lockdowns, shutdowns, cancellations, school, work, church, and so forth. And then pretty soon thereafter, the social unrest and the lawlessness. Remember the fires that we had this last year? I never remember a time where smoke outside canceled church. I don't know about you. There was actually haze inside the sanctuary from what was going on outside. And remember, for a while, 
it was said that we had the worst air quality in all of the world. The trees didn't make a difference. Then uh, remember not long ago there was, a, there was an ice storm and it seemed like we were up most of the night, it seemed like one of the nights, from trees cracking around our house. I don't ever remember that much ice uh, on the trees and all the damage. You still drive around town or you drive out of, out of town and you see still the destruction from the ice storm that we had. These are the experiences that the world offered us over the last year or so, right? Chaos, unrest, confusion. But we know here that when Jesus gathered his closest friends and he said these words, he was, a, he was facing the most excruciating type of death that the Romans could dream up, that the Romans could invent. And as he's facing this, not only physical pain, but no doubt mentally, psychologically, and, and knowing that ultimately there would be this separation where the father would see the sins of the world upon his son and what that could have been. He's telling his disciples as well that they would face tribulation. Or we could get to where he says, you're going to face chaos in your lives. And if we think about what the disciples went through, they went through a lot more tribulation than you and me have had to go through. They were abandoned by their families, many of them. They were abandoned by the Roman government. They were abandoned by their religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. And at the end of it all, almost all of them were martyred for Jesus Christ. Crucified, some hung upside down, tradition says. So I dare say that these these guys knew what it was ultimately to go through tribulation. And with Jesus facing all of this, the disciples facing all of this, Jesus says to them, in the world you shall have tribulation or chaos, we might say pain, suffering, confusion, lousy times of life, but be of good cheer. That's how he follows it up. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ was their solution way back then for the tribulation that they would go through. And although this was 2,000 years ago, give or take maybe a 50 or a 100, Jesus Christ is the solution for us tonight. Our, need, our world needs a Savior. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. We need a Savior The answer to all of these problems is Jesus Christ. Nothing has changed. So Jesus is saying to them, when you have tribulation, when you have chaos, when you have suffering, when you have confusion, when you have anxiety, when you have pain, when you feel rejected by those closest to you, when you feel alone, all of the things that the world offers you and me, chaos and tribulation, Jesus can say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's hope. That's strength. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we look to the Lord. Be of good cheer, because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So when we experience all of these things, we know that only Jesus Jesus offers hope. 
Jesus offers restoration. Jesus offers peace. Jesus offers sustaining grace in these difficult times in our lives. It's one thing when we're saved by grace and we point back to a time and a day when the Lord saved us and we're saved by grace. But we want the kind of grace that carries us day in and day out. Sustaining grace. Grace that we live by way of in the midst of chaos. Jesus offers victory. You know, another thing that we, we discussed at Youth Focus was we put up on, on the screen the many apps today's by, used today by millennials, millennials and Generation Z. We found out in looking a little bit further, I'm actually a millennial. It's if you were born from 1981 to 96, so up to age 38, I'm 38. And Generation Z is born 1997 to 2012. But we listed some of the um, the mediums or the apps that we use. If you were there, you remember this, obviously. Slack, TikTok, Telegram, WhatsApp, Signal, Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Tumblr, Medium, Twitch, Discord, YouTube, Facebook, etc., 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 to name a few. And I looked up some numbers. A lot of, of us today or folks today are, are familiar with hashtags. These are the top hashtags. The hashtag for you has had almost 2 trillion views. The hashtag for your page, 1.09 trillion. Hashtag FYP, 1.025 trillion. Hashtag duet. 880 billion. Has anybody ever sung a duet online and hashtagged it? Maybe it went viral. Hashtag TikTok, 558 billion views. You get the idea. Even um, Instagram has published a list of the top 40 used hashtags. Hashtag Instagood. Hashtag photo of the day. Hashtag follow me. Hashtag pick of the day. Hashtag selfie, that's the top 40. Hashtag summer. Hashtag nature, smile, amazing, style, and fun. You get the idea. But we realize that these apps, or we can say these mediums, these platforms, they're used to shape public opinion. Right, young people? They're used to lead a cause. They're used to shape a culture. They're used to promote. They're used to divide. They're used to shape what the world says is right and what's wrong. They're used to shape what the world would say what's moral or what's immoral, what's okay, what's not okay. And we were reminded that we must be on guard. Most of these sites have been around for maybe five years. Maybe 10 years. Facebook is like the grandpa of the site, of these sites. Maybe been around 15 years. I think it was 2008 when it became, once smartphones became big, that really Facebook went viral. Most of these hashtags, if not all of them, have no eternal significance whatsoever. None whatsoever. Except I believe many times these can pull us down. These can 
make us worry about what's going to be posted yet. These can drown out, I believe, in our lives what's important. How long has God been around? How long has God's word been relevant? I believe we want to know what God thinks. When all of the noise happens and when your phone is blowing up with everyone's opinion on what you should think about something, we've got to be reminded, what does God think? What does God's word think? What's trending with the Lord? And the scriptures tell us that. In fact, we can get into that God predicted what would be trending in our day. If the Lord could tell his disciples 2,000 years ago that you're going to go through tribulation, you're going to go through difficult times, and he was facing the cross, but he could say to them, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's hope for you and me. We have every reason to have the same optimism about what God can do for us, what God can do for you, and what God can do for me. The scriptures tells us, the psalmist, Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Not just a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, six thousand years ago, all generations, the scripture teaches us. Psalms 119, 160, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Where time is no more, God's word is still relevant. And I can't even imagine, we can't even comprehend where time ends. Eternity is where, not, eternity is not millions or trillions of years even, it's no more time. God's word still endures, the scripture teaches us. In Psalms 119.89, he says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. In a place where it really matters. Where, where things are eternal, his word is settled there forever. In First Peter one twenty five, he says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by the gospel is preached unto you, which by the gospel is preached unto you. We want to understand what the Lord thinks. We want to know what's important to the Lord. We want to know what the mind of the Lord is. We want to know what's trending with the Lord. Sometimes we just have to drown out the world. When, when there's pressure, social pressure, social media pressure to post or to do something or to say something, or you should feel this way, or you should think this way, it never hurts to take a step back and think, what does the Lord think? What does God think? What's important to the Lord? We know that the Lord said thousands of years ago that his what would be trending, like I said, in our day. He said that the love of many shall wax cold. Matthew 24, that would be trending, that would be happening. Look around, it's happening. He said that there would be rampant iniquity or even lawlessness. If we want to go down the road of lawlessness, God is a God of order. Order and laws were his idea. That's why there's laws of nature, because God wanted order. When God took the children of Israel out, he set up order, he set up laws. That's his idea, whether or not we like it or not, that's how God works. Even Jesus said that 
what would be trending in our day that many would be offended and that they would betray each other. Matthew 24.10, And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. We know that the scripture tells us that earthquakes would be trending, even pestilences or viruses, they would be trending. The Bible teachers that sound great but don't teach the truth, they would be trending in the last days. Deception would be trending, Matthew 24, 4. He even says that the days of Noah would be trending all the way in our day. But how were the days of Noah? And I looked back at Genesis 6, 5, a familiar scripture. He says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. They were drumming up ideas in which to be anti-God. Their imaginations. Look at the world. Look at the differentiation that Jesus said a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ would have relative to the world. So we know that everything is happening, happening perfectly according to how God's word said it would happen in our day just prior to his return. There's something really special about being in church. It's a place to drown out the world. Church should be a place of refuge. Church should be a safe place, we might say. Church should be a place where we can shut out all the noise in the world. A place where God is no respecter of persons. And when things are trending and things are, what do you think about this? And, and we talked about it, Youth Focus. What does the Bible say about race? We talked about that. What does the Bible say about social justice? The scripture talks about that. God is just. He is righteous. He defines that which is righteous and that is which is just. And if you want to talk about race, the Bible speaks, as Brother Gary mentioned on Sunday night, that there is one race. And that's the human race. And all humanity was made in the image of God. And therefore, all humanity, regardless of where we came from, if you're a human being, you will spend eternity somewhere. And we are all equal in God's sight. In fact, in James, he says, if you have respect of persons, it's sin. So let's go back to our text that Jesus says to his disciples. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I don't know where you stand tonight with the Lord. Maybe you've been bombarded, bombard, bombarded, excuse me, by the world, by the noise, by all of these things we've talked about. You know, we can get all worked up about things that have no eternal significance. They're not going to matter in eternity. You're going to stand before the Lord all by yourself, regardless of who's close to you, your friends, your family. It's just you and the Lord. Me and the Lord. We want to make sure that we make it. We want to search our hearts. And, and if we're bombarded with things in our minds, and, and we've talked about anxiety or, or anxiousness, same thing, or, or pain or suffering or anger or whatever it may be, we have to bring it to Jesus. Jesus is who offers hope. 
a conversation with a friend or, or a relative or whatever it is that we're going through can help. But Jesus offers hope. Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Why does he offer hope? Because he has the power to, to make a change in our heart, to change a situation. Sometimes the situation doesn't change. But because we had an encounter with the Lord, we are changed. And therefore, we find the hope that is in Jesus Christ. We want to find out what the mind of God is. We want to find out what the heart of God is. And to do these things, there's no substitute to prayer. We have to pray. We have to find it on our knees. If you have something in your life and, and, and it's difficult or whatever it may be, it's between you and the Lord, you've got to give it to the Lord. I've got to give it to Christ. I've got to lay it at the feet of Jesus. And, and there might be someone here or listening in and you're not saved and you don't know the Lord. Christ offers peace. Christ offers restoration. Christ offers victory. Christ has overcome the world. And he wants you to be uh, have an inheritance with him, have a body like him, and spend eternity with him, and reign with him forever. That's a pretty good deal. You want to be a follower of Christ. And I don't say that lightly. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross. He suffered a horrible death. He was tortured so that we could fall on him, ask for forgiveness, ask that we would be washed in the blood of Jesus. And if you hear someone minimize the blood of Jesus, that somehow you're washed and you continue wallowing in sin, that, the Bible said, would be trending in our day as well. It's evidence that the Lord is coming back. Christ offers victory. Christ offers overcoming victory. In Revelation, over and over again, he that overcometh, not he that lives defeated, but he that overcometh shall inherit all things. That's our hope. We want to pray tonight, young people. We want to encourage you to pray. You can pray in the pews, pray in the altars. Look to Jesus. He offers victory tonight. The song is 596.